This is Authors Alcove, where writers learn from writers. Readers get the inside scoop and everyone learns something. An episode comes out every Wednesday where writers share their latest work. Every other Tuesday, where us writers get taught by such experts as editors, book cover artists, and marketing execs, and beyond. So grab a cup of coffee and let's dive into our next book. Welcome to Authors Alcove. Today I have a very special guest, somebody I've known for a long time, and I am excited because this is the first time I'm able to do it inside the recording studio. And she's just like across from me, but we're doing it on Zoom because I am not technologically <laughs> savvy. But thank you, Sammy, very much. So this is Sammy Buker. She just published her debut novel, The Unfortunate Life of Genevieve Ryder, and I just finished it a few days ago. It was very emotional. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah. Very emotional. Anyway, so Sammy, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the writing world? Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to sit in the same room with you, even <laughs> though we're on Zoom. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is just really fun. So thanks for having me here with you. Um, yep. Yeah. We have known each other a long time. I think we've both known that we've always been writers. Have we always known that about each other? I think so. I think so. Um, so for me, getting to the writing world, I, I, I've always been a writer. I've loved books. I'm a reader. I'm an avid reader. I've been a writer since I was a little kid. When I was in second grade, I won an award for my story about a frog in my pocket. And that just sort of sent me on my journey. This story comes from just like a really personal place and I found that I've always been a person who worked out my stuff in writing. I've always worked out when there's a trouble or something in writing and this one just begged to become a story. And so while I've always been using words to talk about all kinds of things, um, eventually it needed to be bigger. And here I am now, um, published this one, I'm working on the next one. I want this to be the world for the next so many years for me. So I really did enjoy your book. I have it right here. The Unfortunate Life of Genevieve Ryder is an excellent emotional book. And you actually said in the very last, what is that called at the end? My author's note. Your author's note, yes. You mentioned that it's a very personal story. Yes. Do you mind sharing why it's a personal story and what inspired you to write it? Sure. So it is fiction. Let me make that very, very clear. This, this story is made up. Genevieve is not a real person. However, in my family, there's just stories that we don't talk about. In my young adult life, I had a couple kids. Um, I had a grandmother who I'd never met, and uh, she passed away, and we didn't know about it until all of a sudden one day I got a package from the estate that included pictures of my kids that I sent her over the years, my parents, wedding photos, but then a whole bunch of things that didn't make any sense to me including a marriage certificate that didn't match any of the stories that I knew, a pair of baby booties, uh, a white christening gown with no stories attached. Um, and I have no way to figure out where these came from, but I just started uh, imagining and wondering what could have made a person not want to know their granddaughter? What, right? So it was a very deeply personal, like how could this person not have wanted to know who I am or who the great grandkids were who were adorable and little at the age and I couldn't understand why she wouldn't want to know who I was and I imagined what kind of life would would make such a break that you wouldn't want to know those people and then I just imagined backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards till I got to this life that started with an unintended pregnancy shortly after World War II 
and uh, a woman who did not fit in her era making a choice that was not uh, condoned in her area. Typically, women from the 40s who were pregnant uh, got sent away to somewhere else and were expected to give their babies up for forced adoption. And my main character, Genevieve, decides not to do that, and she decides to keep her child. And the consequences of raising that child are uh, what leads to the story that unfolds throughout the pages of the book. When I was conceiving of the story and trying to work through all of the stuff that I didn't understand in my own life, imagining Jen making these choices gave me a lot more compassion for who she was and for the choices she made and how her life was very much a product of the situation that she was in. She would have necessarily wanted for herself, right? So there's that constant tension. And out came this book of this woman who makes choices that are unconventional, but also has consequences that are far reaching and sometimes great and sometimes painful. Your book is very character driven. How would you describe the main character, Genevieve Ryder? So when book opens, Genevieve is 22. She is the oldest surviving daughter of her parents, Len and Antoinette, raised in Medford, Wisconsin, which is the middle of Wisconsin as dairy farmers. She is stubborn and headstrong. She has definite ideas about what she wants life to be. But I would also say, like, at her core, Jen is hungry to be loved for who she is. There was a bunch of acceptance she didn't get from her mom. As you read the book, that's pretty it's pretty obvious. And so she's got this constant longing to be deeply loved. And I think many of her choices come from that very wounded place in her. And as she, so as that happens, she becomes very driven to find the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that will satisfy. The first thing she thinks will satisfy is keeping the child, her, her daughter, Kat. The next thing that will satisfy is a relationship and on. And she finds out ultimately Sometimes those things aren't satisfying. So then she keeps just seeking and seeking for the thing that she wishes she had. One of the key relationships that I think really shapes her was her relationship with her mom. How do you feel that it affected the choices she made as the story progresses? That's a great question. Um, So I think outwardly, Jen and Antoinette, which is her mom, they clash a lot. Antoinette has a very clear idea of who she wants Jen to be, and Jen does not want to be that person that Antoinette wants her to be. And I think a lot of the decision she makes, she makes in opposition to her mom. And then as she's going about uh, doing life, raising her daughter, she thinks that, oh, now I'm doing the things my mom wants me to do, so now I will gain more acceptance. But instead, it becomes more judgment. And I want to be angry with Antoinette, but she herself is her own she is her own consequences of the way that she lived and the, uh, the pain in her own life. And what I really want is I want them to be in 2023 where we can put them in therapy and make <laughs> them talk about things, but they aren't. They're set in 1946. And um, during that era, we didn't talk about the things the way we talk about them now, right? Ultimately, I think Jen really, really, really wanted her mom to love her unconditionally. You brought up it was written in in the setting of 1946 Mm -hmm. and that's actually very important to this how did the setting play a role in the actual book so it is really important because the catalyst event of the whole book is that jen finds out she's pregnant and if we set that now uh, the reaction would be very very different but then in 1946 to be a young woman who was not married and was pregnant was a shameful it was shameful for her it was shameful for her family mostly it said a lot about who a person was and so 
there was not an acceptance for a young woman to be a single mother at that time. So the, the primary, the beginning driver of the whole narrative of the book starts with this thing that is not accepted. And she is sent to a place called Bethany House, which is a house for unwed mothers, a home for unwed mothers. Those are based on the historical Francis Crittenden homes, which were begun in the late 1800s for the sole purpose of providing safe spaces for unwed mothers to raise their children. But over the years, in the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, those houses changed focus to be that they were intended to be places where women would come, have their babies, have them removed and adopted into other homes. Uh, Without that very historical setting, we couldn't have set up this space where Jen is going against the active social norms of the time in order to keep her child. But then also because of that, then she has to get married, right? There's no way for a young single woman to survive in the early 50s after Kat is born without being married. And so it produces a lot of the drive and the um, Jen's deep longing is so situated in that time that if we tried to set it 30 years later, I don't think it could have happened in the same way that it did. I know that you must have done some research because one of the scenes that really struck me is I asked my grandma about how she delivered her babies and it would have been in 1946 through 1959 and she had to be knocked out. I know. (laughs) And so for each of them, so she said that she doesn't remember any of them. And when you had that part in there, I was like, she did her research. How did you do your research and where did you get your information? So the main driver for that portion of the book comes from a book called The Girls Who Went Away by Anne Fessler, which was published in 2012. And it was all about stories of young women who were in these situations, who were sent away to homes, how they were treated by doctors and other professionals while they were pregnant and during their, during their deliveries, and then their experiences after when their babies were forcibly removed from them. And it had all of those kinds of stories, right? Being knocked out, waking up and not knowing where the baby was, the coldness and rudeness of a doctor once they figured out that she was an unwed mother instead of somebody who was either betrothed or already married, like the change in temperature in the room. So those all came from that one book and then other supplemental kinds of things. And I have heard that story from a number of people like, oh, that's what that's what my grandma experienced. And it's really gratifying to know that I got it right. (laughs) Well, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. you. (laughs) So one of the things that I found very interesting, or at least this is from my perspective, is that Genevieve Ryder is the protagonist. But I would argue that she's also the antagonist. Would you agree with that? I think she is her own worst enemy. I think maybe even halfway through the book, when um, as Kat ages and grows up, she would almost become a protagonist and then Jen becomes the antagonist against Jen's or Kat's um, protagonist kind of status. But I do agree that Jen is her own worst enemy. And I think it is that deep longing that she has to be loved and thinking that the next great thing will make her feel whole is the thing that gets her into trouble because she's also then not always willing to listen to people tell her something different. I really enjoyed the book and I think one of the reasons why I did is because your characters were very real and the reactions were very real and I think you did a very good job of the dynamic of the relationships. But I wanted to talk a little bit about your publishing experience yeah. because I've talked to a lot of self-publishers, I've talked to a lot of traditional publishers, but you did kind of a hybrid. Can you tell us the company that you went through mm-hmm. and your experience about, with that? Yeah. 
So first you need to know I never wanted to be either hybrid or self-published. I wanted the full traditional route, right? I wanted the agent, I wanted the, the publishing house, I wanted all of the things, but that was just not gonna happen. So my agency, well, it's called Credo House. It's here in my town here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I met my publisher at a, a, comp, a small conference and we talked and um, he was, at that point, he both, they have two arms. They have an agenting arm and then the hybrid publishing arm. And I wanted agenting, right? I went to him and I was like, I want you to agent my book. And he read it and he liked it and he gave it to somebody else and they liked it, but I simply just didn't have the marketing. I don't have enough of a platform. I'm not big enough to be able to warrant a large publishing contract. So we talked and um, they offered me a business model for co-hybrid publishing, I think, or hybrid publishing, they called it. And wow, it was it was so great. I really, I didn't think I was gonna love it. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was gonna be very different than it was. I had been approached to do a hybrid publish before, like 10 years ago, and that was sketchy and super scary. And this was just so lovely and professional. Before he offered, I was on his website checking out their hybrid published works, checking out their Amazon reviews, and they're all like legitimate works with really good reviews, good cover art, and all of those things. So I was offered a package that included a final line edit, the formatting, different kinds of things, the cover, we did cover art, and then all of the ordering and then making it available on Amazon and all the upload and making sure everything that fit. From start to finish, from the, say, from the day I said I would like to do this to the day that I held my book in my hands was five and a half months. Wow, that's impressive actually. It was. And your book is beautiful. Thank Look at you. This. I know. Isn't she so pretty? <laughs> I, I love, it. love it. Yes. And I, I thought it was traditionally published Thank at first, you. and that's why I texted you and yeah. asked you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, the other things that I really liked um, here, since we can grab it, is I really liked some of the little details that were inside that I would have never known to do. Like there's little sewing symbols, and that the, the, the fonts are different. Um, there's some really nice details in terms of like my cover pages that I would have not known to do myself as a self-published author that really make this book look like it fits on the on the shelf on a bookstore. Yes. Uh, so the for me, when I gave it to Tim, it was as good as I could have possibly made it by myself. I would have probably, I probably should have sprung for one more edit myself because the edit that I got was good and it made sure that the um, majority of the mistakes that I had left were uh, were gone. I probably myself should have had it just a little bit but we, that's what we do as authors, right? We keep, we go back and we find the things we want to fix. The most fun part for me was helping to choose the cover. So I had complete say, the book is still mine. I own the copyright. Um, after we were done, Credo doesn't own anything of this work. This is completely my work. I just got a very professional stamp on it, which is lovely. And so when it came to cover design, I gave them four or five different images and ideas. If you know, if you go to the bookstore right now and you look at a historical fiction book that features a woman, almost all of them centered around World War II, have the cover of a woman walking away out of the screenshot, right? And I said, under no circumstances is that going to be this book. It doesn't fit the vibe of who Jen is or what this book is. I gave them four or five options. They came back with 10 beautiful covers from which I got to choose this one, which I just 
I just adore. I love this cover. I wouldn't have thought I loved the hybrid publishing model as much as I did. And I'm really, really thankful that I got to do it. What was one of the most challenging parts of that or surprising parts of that? Man, it went so fast. I did not expect it to go as fast as it was to have books in, to say yes at the end of January and have books in my hand by the end of May was unreal. Uh, that was really surprising. And then something that was challenging for me is that after it's already too late is when I found those last few mistakes that I wished I had fixed, right? So that's, that's hard for me to know, but now I know better and next time I'll do better. I do know that in comparison with other people, my process with bo was both really fast, really professional, and rather inexpensive as in terms of how much I was asked to pay. And also, I get all my own royalties. I get all the money. Like nobody else has any hands on this anymore for me. So, and I like that. That's wonderful. Yeah. And you said it was called Credo Publishing? Yeah, it's it's Credo, Credo House Publishers, a hybrid publishing arm. I also did have to submit a query letter and first, you know, 10 or 10 pages before I was asked to submit a full manuscript. So it's not like they just took my manuscript and said, yes, there was a process of deciding if it was something that they would like to put their name on, which I also appreciated as well. I get a little wary sometimes, so I appreciated that there was a, a level of excellence that they wanted me to come with before they were willing to put their name on the product. So you said that it took five months from when you submitted it to having it in your hands. Yes. How long did it take you from idea to <laughs> having it in your hands? Uh, 13 and a half years. <laughs> um, I started writing probably in the spring of 2010. I had a completed first draft around, or not, you know, draft-ish, around 2012 or 13. I actually printed it into book format and my book club read it for me in a very young, oh, unpolished version of this book. They read it, they gave me so many great suggestions, I wasn't ready for them yet. I really think that I needed some time to grow and mature and experience some life. Some of those scenes that you mentioned earlier, some of my favorite scenes in the book come towards the end of the book, like when Jen and Kat are fighting or when Jen and her best friend are talking. And those are things I hadn't experienced yet in my life. And so it was much easier for me to write them once I'd experienced like a fight with my teenager. It was much <laughs> easier to write that scene or to have, have a, a dear friend come to me and just lay it down in front of me, made it much easier to write those. And I hadn't had those experiences yet. So um, I picked it up, up and down and up and down throughout pens. Uh, and then COVID, I went, oh, really want to do this and so I picked it back up again and this time I uh, decided that we were going to make a run for it. I did submit it to about 40 traditional agents. My goal was to get as many rejections as my age before my next birthday and I quit after about 25 because I just couldn't take the rejections anymore. <laughs> um, so I tried the route and it just didn't work out and then this is what came before me. So you're publishing company they didn't do any of the marketing or do they do some of the marketing they put it on their website they featured it on their facebook page one did, one time so all of the marketing's been mine and what have you done to market your book so many things <laughs> <laughs> so let's see in the six months or so since she's been out I've done, I did a, a launch and a big party at the beginning with the people who'd been walking with me forever. I've done some advertising, uh, both on Facebook, 
and on Pinterest. I've been working with a marketing person to help me know what to do because I don't know what to do. <laughs> I have a newsletter. I'm starting to um, make connections and talk to other people about writing um, and getting connected to other people's groups. The most fun thing I've done is I've gotten to talk to book clubs. So I've talked to four or five book clubs of women who have all read this book and we get together and we talk about Jen and her life and her choices. And that's been a ton of fun because they've ranged in age from people in their young 20s who can't understand why Jen would make the choices that she made to people in their 70s and 80s who knew people who made choices like Jen's. Um, and so it's just been, that to me has been the most exciting part of this whole process is getting to talk to people about the story that I wrote and hear how it intersects with their own stories, what felt true and what did not feel true. Yeah. Oh, marketing. I felt like the whole thing was very true to human nature. Thank I really you. did. Thank you. So what were some authors or books that had a profound effect on you, especially this type of genre? <laughs> um, so to be honest, um, I don't read a lot of books like this, which, it, which, which is real to admit, because they are so emotional and my life is pretty emotional. And so I don't always read books like this because they're just really, I, uh, <sighs> I actually told my husband, I said that, you know, I have not read a book like this in a very long time because of how emotional. Mm -hmm. And I actually had to set it down three different times mm -hmm. and just cried. And the thing is, is it wasn't really that it was like stuff that I had experienced. It was just, I was emotional and I can't handle that sometimes. Yeah, so, I like, so, but you also did a good job of like balancing that Thank too. You. So it wasn't like just all hard, hard <sighs> stuff. I mean, there's, there is a lot in there and at times I was very tempted to make it not like that, but then it wouldn't have been true, right? I could have changed it and it was really hard to make it true then. So the truth is like, I don't read a ton like of books like this. So, so what do you read? Uh, let's see. I know what? you read it. You just read the fourth wing. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading it right now. Oh, it's good. <laughs> there were some pages I had to skim quickly. Yeah. Uh, there were some pages I had to skim, but I really love, I do kinds of dystopian YA-ish fantasy. Dragons were pretty fun. I really did like that. What do I read a lot of? I've been reading a lot of really campy romance, which is fun. I really love Emily Henry. I love uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid. I like her a lot. I have been reading, a, I'm trying to think, what's on my bedside table right now? So many different kinds of things. Like I really do bend a lot of genres. One of my favorite authors currently is uh, in the science fiction realm. I picked up, I read for my book club, so I'm also reading Covenant for Water by Abraham Verghese, which is set in India and it's like 800 pages long and it covers <laughs> like 40 years. I read all over the place. And the books that I love the most are the ones that reflect what the emotions of real life all of the time, even if it's in a science fiction genre or something. But uh, yeah, that was a really roundabout answer. <laughs> My favorite genre is fantasy. Uh -huh. And that's what I've liked about doing this author's alcove is because I'm starting to read more of these type of books uh -huh. because people are telling me about them and I'm like, okay, I need to read that. Yeah. And so it's kind of getting me out of my like fourth wings. Have you read the book Scythe no. or the series Scythe? Uh -uh. That is a dystopian. It was really good. 
my daughter's boyfriend actually recommended it and he hates okay. reading. So oh. I figure if somebody hates reading and they recommend a book, you need to yep. read it. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I actually recommended a book. And so I'm like, if he's going to recommend a book, I need to read it. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. And it's so exciting that I got to do this with a friend. Yay! And, but I ask this question. I'm going to have to ask you. Okay. If you had one piece of advice for a not yet published author, mm. what would you say? I love that everybody pauses like this. I know. I just edit it so that you can't tell. <laughs> wow, does everybody pause? Okay, that makes me feel much better. Not everybody, but a lot, most people do. Um, so the two things I would say, I would actually have two. One, you can't publish a book unless it's done. So you have to put your butt in the chair and write the words, right? It, if it lives in your head, like nobody's gonna read that. So you actually have to put the words on the paper and have the finished book. And the second thing I think, this is, this is what I have to tell myself, is that it is a worthy thing to share a story with the world, even if it doesn't make you a millionaire or bestseller lists. Connecting with other people on a personal level about story, I think, is a is a, a remarkable thing to be able to do, regardless of the genre of that story. And so if you have a story to tell, it's worth t being told. So go ahead and tell it. That's one thing I love about asking that question is because I'm always surprised what people will say hmm. because everybody has something, you know, they usually say stick with it, but then that one, after they say stick with it, then they add something that nobody else has said. And that's what I love that I probably will never not ask that question. That's a really good question actually <laughs> to end it on. Anyway, thank you very much. I really appreciate you being yeah. here. It was a blast. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Authors Alcove. We will be back next week on Wednesday where we will have a writer share yet another piece of work. Also, every other Tuesday, we do learn from experts such as editors, marketing execs, book cover artists, illustrators, and more. If you are interested in being a guest on our show, feel free to go to authorsalcove.com, go to the podcast tab, and then click on Be a Guest. If you're looking for a healed heart, hop on over to our sister podcast, Strength, Love, and Healing with Authors Alcove. You can find that on Spotify and the Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day.